grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our devotion this morning is the epistle lesson that was previously read from Romans chapter 8. A pastor took a call to a new congregation. Because the congregation did not provide a, a parsonage, the pastor and his wife bought a home in a nice neighborhood not too far from the church. One neighbor, on learning that the new resident was a preacher, quickly introduced herself. She said that she had, as a charismatic, she said she had been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. To which the pastor replied, that makes two of us. He could tell by her reaction that she, uh, she was a little skeptical of his claim. And a few con conversations later, she became downright indignant. I'm praying for you, she said one day. He thanked her and asked whether there was anything specific that she was praying for. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, she said. I'm praying that you receive the gift of the Spirit. He said that she need not bother the Almighty with that request because the Lord had graciously provided the Spirit for him already. Really, she said, I would be interested to know how and when you received the Spirit. That I can tell you, said the pastor. I was a few weeks old when the, the pastor took me in his arms, poured water on my head in the name of the triune God, and I received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's not baptism in the Spirit, she retorted. Well, said the, the pastor, the preacher who baptized me said I got it, and everybody else said I got it. And if that were not enough, when I was about 14, another preacher put his hand on my head and said, you've got the Spirit, now use it. And if that still were not enough, another preacher, when I was ordained, put his hand on my head and said, you've got the Spirit, now get out there and preach the gospel. So, my dear neighbor, about the best you can say for me is that I don't always live in the Spirit's power or don't always use the Spirit's gifts. But the one thing you can't do is deny that I've got it. The neighbor, as you might have guessed, remained unconvinced. But the pastor had made an important point. Having the Spirit is God's gift to the Christian, given through baptism and through the preaching of the gospel. Living in the Spirit is the Christian's gift to God, and it is lived in the power that the Spirit himself supplies. Therefore, the, the, the word for us Christians today as we consider the Holy Spirit is, you've got it, now use it. That seems to be the situation that St. Paul is addressing in today's uh, epistle also. He recognized that, that believers in the church in Rome had been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
This was the gift that was theirs by the pure grace of God. In the same way, all who are gathered here today who believe in Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord has the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is not the, 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 the private possession of our charismatic neighbors. In writing to the Christians at Rome, in Corinth, I mean, Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So, if you confess Jesus as Lord in your life, then St. Paul says, there's no doubt about it, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. The question is, what are you doing with that gift? And the implied answer from our text is that we probably are not using it to the extent that we could. Therefore, the first thing Paul points out is that we have an obligation to use that gift here and now. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, people under an obligation, not to live according to the flesh. But this is not an obligation imposed on us from the outside by some external law. It comes from our very nature as spiritual people, people motivated by the gospel. Paul does not mean that we have to live in a certain way in order to maintain our status as God's people. He's saying that as God's people by grace, we are moved to live the new life that the Spirit gives. His love, our response, remember? The prisoner of war, the prisoner of war who has spent long years in captivity laboring under the the heavy burden and, and the abuse and, and cruelty of his captors wouldn't return to live under his captors again once he has been rescued and set free. He wouldn't think of it, and neither would we. How contradictory for us, having been delivered by the Spirit from the law of sin and death, and having been indwelt by him to yield our obedience to that which, from which the Spirit has set us free. It's unthinkable, or should be. Although Paul talks about the struggle between these two laws, the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life, although Paul talks about these two laws as if the, the victory of the, the spirit is a foregone conclusion, those in whom that conflict rages are deeply affected by it. A life in the spirit does not happen automatically just because we have the gift of the Spirit. Paul talks about an, an obligation. Note that. Now, now obligation, that's not, that's not a, a term I'd like ordinarily, being a grace guy and all, but here it fits. It means that you and I have a part to play. We have decisions to make that will either bring glory to God or not, right? will we'll, uh, discredit his name. When it comes to our spiritual lives, nothing is to be taken for granted. Sounds easy, right? But right here there is a, a, a challenge, a problem, a, a problem for our, uh, our God's people. We may become so comfortable in, uh, with ourselves 
that we see little or no need to be led by the Spirit. Without recognizing it, we, we're no longer ambitious for the things of the Spirit. And as a result, we lapse into a kind of spiritual coma. And to this, Paul says, no. We dare not become spiritually lazy. We are Christians. The spirit of the living God dwells within us. <coughs> You've got it. Now use it. Use the power he himself supplies to live a life that glorifies God. <coughs> when I was in high school, back in the olden days, when we threw a, a saddle over the dinosaur and rode into town, I played on a very good basketball team. It's upside down. Turn around like that and you can see me. Oh, jeez. A very good team. We won 26 of 28 games my junior year. The coach was a demon for physical conditioning. One day, we just ran everybody else into the ground. One day, after a particularly grueling uh, practice, I came home and went straight to bed. I was exhausted. The next day, my father said, son, how can you be so out of shape when it's halfway through the season? I said, daddy, we're, we're in great shape. But the coach told us that we'd won so many games so easily that we were becoming casual and sloppy in our play. And if we didn't get our act together, we would lose to teams far inferior to us. That's Paul's concern, too. That's, up, that's right side up. We have been baptized, confirmed. We go to church often and, and, con and communion. All right. And we think that we're in pretty good shape spiritually when actually our Christian life may have become taken for granted and we're in danger of losing to powers far inferior to that which dwells within us. So Paul spells it out. We are Christians. We have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we obligate ourselves to use that gift, or actually to let the gift use us. We're not just to take a stroll with the Spirit on occasion. It's to be a lifelong spiritual walk. However, our walk in the Spirit is not a lonely journey. We're supported and affirmed every step of the way. In fact, Paul says in, in the verses just following our text that the, the creation itself waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. There's a whole creation out there watching, cheering us on, as it were. It's exciting. It's, 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 it's what God set about doing when everything fell apart in the Garden of Eden. He didn't hold our sins against us, didn't abandon us because of that. He set about planning what, how he could make us all that he intended us to become by the power of his spirit. 
Michelangelo, the great artist and sculptor, was once seen dragging a, a large block of uncut marble through the streets of Rome. A friend asked him, what have you got there, Michelangelo? And he replied, therein I have an angel waiting to be set free. Now, Michelangelo saw what no one else was able to see. He saw the angel that he, was, he would be able to make out of that block of marble. Likewise, God is our sculptor. The Holy Spirit is his chisel. And as the Lord looks at us, he sees great potential. He sees what he can create out of us, making us what he first intended us to be, sons and daughters, heirs who recognize his lordship and turn to him as, as children turn to their father, crying, Abba, Father, dear Daddy. But it is not only creation that affirms and encourages us. Paul says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Just imagine it. In the midst of the most troublesome, the most uh, difficult and tumultuous thing in your life, when your burden is heavy, your strength is failing, your doubts increasing, your conscience accusing, and your fears unrelenting, there comes from the very depth of your soul a calm, refreshing, overpowering word of hope. I have been baptized. The, I have the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ died for me. I am a beloved child of the Heavenly Father. It is the Spirit himself testifying with our spirit that we are children of God. Therefore, since the indwelling Spirit confirms our faith and strengthens our resolve to put to de death the misdeeds of the sinful nature, we look to Jesus as both the example and the source of our spiritual life. This is both natural and necessary. Let me explain. A life that is led by the Spirit will always find its focus and power in the Christ of the cross. As the Spirit testifies that we are children of God, he does so by testifying to Jesus and the redemption worked for us on Calvary. It cannot be any other way. Our charismatic neighbors may, may testify to the glories of the Spirit, but the Spirit himself testifies to the glory of the Son. We see the divine interplay of the two in the life of, of our Lord. At his baptism in the Jordan, Jesus received the, the Holy Spirit. His Father in heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. Then filled with the Spirit, he went immediately into the wilderness for his personal confrontation with the evil one. From that cosmic clash, he emerged triumphant in the power of the Spirit, says the scripture. Only to meet the enemy again 
on Calvary there to defeat him once and for all. The same spirit that filled Jesus then lives in you now. There's no doubt about it. We have been baptized and received the fullness of the Spirit. We have received the benefits of the death and resurrection of Christ. We are sons and daughters, children, co-heirs with Christ. Can we live as though we were none of those things? Of course not. Of course not. We who have been set free from the law of sin and death can no longer live as though we were still controlled by them. Therefore, by the power of the Spirit who has given us new life in Christ, we use his gifts and are used by him so that he can make us all that he intends us to become. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.